What happens when a blind man, a woman of color, and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity, inclusion, and equity affect your business? Hi everybody, welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm UB, and I am the Latino white guy of the group. I'm Nina, I am the woman of color in the group. And I'm Mike, I'm uh, the blind guy. Hey everybody, welcome back to Choose Inclusion. I am Yubi, the Latino white guy of the group, as you heard in the introduction, and I'm here with Mike and Nina as always. Hello team. Hey everyone. Oh, hey guys, how you doing today? All right. Good. Yeah, you know, we're talking about the new drinks that we've perfected in making in this COVID-19 time, so that's kind of cool. Yep, yep, making us sound like alcoholics. Good job. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I learned by watching Mike. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good experience. <laughs> yeah, your straight up drink would be a lager then. That's it. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, we are excited today because we're, um, our, our guest is Ken Miller. Ken is president and CEO at NASCO Healthcare. And we're excited for a couple different reasons. One, because uh, we really haven't talked to anyone in the healthcare industry on the show before. So, th so that's a really unique aspect of this uh, conversation. Also, Ken is um, 40 minutes or so from Manhattan there in, in Jersey. And so they're, you know, right in the middle of the, this pandemic and where it's hit the U.S. the most. And so really want to have a conversation about those two things. But, but most importantly, Ken, and, and I'll let you jump in here, but um, you know, really interested to understand how important diversity and inclusion is and has been throughout your career, and, and what you've done for diversity and inclusion. Um, you know, in the different places that you've you've worked, and now what you're doing at NASCO. So, welcome to the show, Ken. Oh, thank you very much, Ubi. It's very nice to be here. Wonderful. Well, yeah, let's jump in. I mean, let, let's um, tell us a little bit about you know, your, your journey and, and how diversity and inclusion has played such an important role in that. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, um, everyone, for allowing me to join. Um, I'm really excited to be part of this podcast. Um, I think that my story is somewhat unique because I am an African-American male and I work in the healthcare sector. And fortunately enough, um, I am able to serve as the president and CEO of NASCO Healthcare. Um, but I've been on this journey for over 30 years. Um, and I think um, all along, I've always wanted to try to make a difference in the world. Um, see, I come from very humble beginnings. And I believe the love, encouragement, and support I received helped me build my sense of purpose of wanting to make a difference. Um, my mom was always my absolute rock, my biggest supporter, and she always told me I could do anything I put my mind to. I think what she was trying to say is that if I worked hard and treated people the way that I wanted to be treated, then at the end of the day, 
I would accomplish something or do something special in the world. Um, in spite of me being an African-American male. And, you know, my mom um, growing up in the 40s and 50s um, in a very segre segregated South um, always wanted me to do better than she had done. Um, so like this kind of makes me recall when I was in grade school, one of my teachers wanted to place me in a remedial reading group and my mom was not having it. She marched up to the school and told my teacher that there was nothing wrong with me, but that she just needed to challenge me. From that point forward, I was determined to excel at whatever was put before me, whether it was in academics or in sports. And I, I think that this is, was a critical and pivotal moment in, in, in my development because I had to make a decision that I needed to work a little bit harder um, and really stand out if I wanted to ach achieve my dreams. And I received a full scholarship to the University of Albany to play football. While at SUNY Albany, I learned about the importance of giving back. I was fortunate enough to join Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated, where I committed myself to attacking illiteracy in our community, feeding the less fortunate, and mentoring the youth. And I think that being part of Omega Psi Phi Fraternity really pushed me out into the community and got me that much closer to my Latino brothers and sisters, um, working with um, my sisters from other sororities in the community and collaborating to really try to meet the needs of, of those who were suffering. Additionally, working in pharmaceuticals gave me the unique opportunity to help people who suffered from conditions like asthma, arthritis, and hypertension. After being promoted several times in my career, um, I noticed that all of my peers were primarily white males. Um, and throughout my career, I even started to model myself after them, started to dress like them, walk like them, talk like them. And I believe that I was becoming more of the monolithic group and was not standing out. But one day I woke up and I looked myself in the mirror and I realized that I really didn't recognize myself. And I made a commitment to myself on that day that I was just going to be me. I was going to be my authentic Ken, um, the Ken that my mom developed me to be. Throughout my career, I think I focused on doing well while doing well for, for the communities in which I served. Whether it was as president of the Diabetes Care Business Unit at BD or in my current role as CEO of NASCO Healthcare. I've always tried to find a way to connect with the communities in which we serve and make an impact. Like with the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation or the American Diabetes um, Association or supporting the frontline healthcare workers during this COVID-19 pandemic. I believe that we as leaders have a responsibility to help others. I pride myself in trying to be a stabilizing, motivating, and empowering force in the community, ultimately trying to make a difference. Um, and I believe that being an African-American male in healthcare hopefully um, sets the stage for other diverse candidates, whether that be African-Americans, Latinos, women, um, be able to excel in, in the space of healthcare.
I think that we need more women as CEOs. I think we need more Latino leaders around the world. Um, I think that we need to create a more diverse um, community in healthcare so that we can remain competitive um, as we go forward. So Ken, uh, you know, you've had deep industry, uh, obviously, experience in, in the healthcare sector. I mean, how do you feel um, the what the experiences of underrepresented communities in healthcare and how companies have been addressing it or not addressing it in terms of um, building more diverse and inclusive spaces for people who are from underrepresented groups? Yeah, I, I really think that in many respects, many companies have ignored it, right? I think that many companies believe that they can take whatever has worked well in North America and um, replicate it in other geographies around the world, whether that be Asia, Europe, Latin America. And I believe that they've they failed miserably in doing that, and primarily because they haven't created very diverse or inclusive teams that helped him to gain a much greater appreciation and respect for those other communities. Um, I have had the good fortune of working at um, BD and in my current role at NASCO Healthcare, where we've taken a much more aggressive and intentional um, approach to trying to build more diverse and inclusive teams. And I can speak more about that, Nina, um, as we go on in the conversation. Yeah, you know, love it, Ken. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I love it. I love the passion. I love the 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 history and the story. Um, very inspiring, Ken. I love that we're talking uh, to a, a healthcare leader right now. I um, again, being the token blind guy on the podcast and generally in <laughs> most of my engagements, uh, accessibility is always a uh, a topic that's high on my priorities, Ken. And I think in healthcare specifically, uh, when so many people, maybe they're not permanently disabled uh, when they enter the hospitals, but they're at least temporarily disabled. And so to me, accessibility is one of those topics that healthcare uh, leadership uh, can and should be talking about at every single level. So I'd love to get your opinion on that statement. Yeah. Absolutely. I believe that, um, Mike, every, every healthcare company should be aggressively searching and selecting for um, diverse candidates and making sure that they're creating a workforce that is accessible to all. Right. Let me give you one example of one thing that has really helped to shape my career. While at BD, um, I had the good fortune of working for Vince Ferlenza, which was our CEO. And we created a program with Quest um, Autism, where we um, hired and provided roles for a community of of individuals in the northern New Jersey area that had autism. And it was so empowering and rewarding because it was not only rewarding for them to come and contribute to our growth and impact in the marketplace around the globe, but it was empowering for every associate to be able to work beside um, someone with a disability and learn, learn from them each and every day. So I believe that in healthcare um, specifically, we should be looking um, to create organizations and teams that um, bring in 
people from all walks of life, because I believe that we will be a lot more knowledgeable, compassionate, understanding, and better capable of meeting the needs of those markets if, in fact, we have them represented on our teams and in our organizations. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, and I think, you know, it's what's fascinating to me about what you do at NASCO, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you help train a lot of um, healthcare workers. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, you be. Yes. Yeah. And that's, and so what's cool about that is it, you know, that what a great way for you all to indirectly and maybe directly um, sort of help these other organizations, these other hospital systems and healthcare systems uh, understand the importance of inclusion and diversity, even just through your training. Is that something that you do? Is that something that you've thought about? Is that possible? Because I know, you know, healthcare is one of those industries that's always seems to be a few years behind, you know, yeah, uh, the, the rest of it. Absolutely. I think that one, our solutions are developed in a way that we try to meet the needs of a very diverse population, right? So we create solutions for um, individuals who are African-American, Caucasian, adolescent, adult, geriatric. And so in our training programs and solutions, we try to create a simulation, an environment of reality so that whether it be that nurse, that physician, that first responder, that firefighter, as they are training, they feel like they are in a real life situation, right? And so one, we try to create the solution so that it looks, feels, talks, and is representative of a real life situation. But we also develop training curriculum that speak about the dynamics of these different um, communities, as well as um, different potential patients in terms of what they may suffer from or the environment in which they may live. That's great. I mean, I think that awareness, like whenever you're building a product of any kind, right, especially I think in the healthcare industry, building products that recognize that we all behave differently. We behave differently in different contexts. We have different kind of cultural backgrounds that impact how we communicate. Gosh, that's so important. I'm really glad to hear that you're doing that, Ken, because I think that that'll make for better healthcare givers to actually make a huge, a really big impact on you know communities all around the country. Yeah, I, I think that we have a... a- have a role in ensuring that all frontline healthcare workers are knowledgeable, compassionate, and appreciative of all communities, right? We are partnering with Students to Science to develop training solutions for a community of um, adolescents that aspire to get into healthcare, and specifically trying to train them to become nurses, to become doctors, to become firefighters, to become EMTs. And I think that in Newark, which is a predominantly African-American community, where the graduation rate um, is, is atrocious, I think that we are really trying to help them build the necessary skills um, to perform in this job, but also to be compassionate, understanding, and appreciative of the community in which they serve. So you're not just focusing on like the current, you know, state of current workers, but you're actually building a pipeline. You're building a diverse pipeline for future of healthcare as well. That's what we're trying to do. You know, um, this this specific initiative recognizes that not all 
um, kids are going to go to a four-year university, right? Um, but we can help them build skills to be able to um, really be, be a, a, a stable force and a contributing force to the community by getting a great job like being a nurse, being a firefighter, being an um, emergency um, technician. Well, I, I love hearing that. One of, the, one of the hats that I'm really humbled to wear here in Colorado, Ken, is uh, I was appointed by uh, former Governor Hickenlooper to be part of the Workforce Development Council, which sits underneath the Department of Labor. And it, uh, the whole role of the council is to uh, work with you know, private, public, nonprofit uh, sector leaders in uh, addressing workforce development, which uh, again, is more than just a four-year degree. We got, uh, we've been so institutionalized uh, since World War II that the only way to go out and get a good job is to get a four-year degree. That it really, um, to me, it's done a great deal of harm to our youth, uh, especially of the last generation or two, uh, thinking that the only way for them to get a good job is that four-year degree. And there are so many other amazing career opportunities that do not require a four-year degree. So I love the fact that you're focused on that. Um, so thank you for the work that you're doing there. Have you been seeing progress within that work? Absolutely. Um, I, I, I am so proud to see um, this cohort of students that will be graduating high school this year and the number of students that are more encouraged to enter into healthcare. So, yeah, I'm really excited. I, I know that we are making an impact. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done, um, but I definitely see the progress in which we're making, uh, Mike. You know, I didn't, I wanted to go back to one thing that you were asking me, and I wanted to talk about the intentionality of creating a diverse and inclusive workforce, right? So here at NASCO Healthcare, what I've instituted is that we've set annual goals and objectives for the selection for the recruiting and selection of diverse candidates, whether that be by gender, whether that be by sexual orientation, whether that be by ethnicity, um, making sure that all of our leaders have in their individual impact goals um, a, a requirement, a goal specific to um, recruiting and ultimately hiring and developing um, a diverse um, group of talent. We monitor and measure our performance on that on a quarterly basis, and then we recognize and reward leaders for the achievement of that. In addition to that, we've created several affinity groups. We've created a um, group for um, women leaders of tomorrow. Um, we've created American uh, African Americans in healthcare. We've also created an LGBT um, um, affinity group. I think that by doing this, we are creating a highly more engaged organization um, and one that is more empowered to make an impact in the communities in which we serve. Well, and now, you know, it, let, let's, let's um, focus on COVID-19 because it, it sounds like everything, you know, that you've been doing really has sort of set you all up for immense success from uh, being able to help the community around you perspective, especially in a situation like this. How, and, and you know, as I said in the introduction, you're, you're, you're right in the middle of it in the US. 
what, what does that look like, right? You know, what is, how is COVID-19 affecting the community around you, your business, and how are you all helping right now, help, able to help, you know, the frontline workers, the community, you know, what does that look like? Absolutely. Well, you know, this really hit us all um, like a storm, right? Um, and it has impacted every um, corner of the globe and NASCO healthcare has been impacted as well. Um, I think that for me personally, my, my, my passion and concern is, is about our associates in the organization, their families and the communities in which we work and serve. Um, what we're trying to do is, and, and let me just step back and say that if, if there's one thing that we've learned from this COVID-19 pandemic is how important it is to be ready. And in many respects, as a world, we weren't ready for this type of pandemic. And so what we've tried to do is one, we've tried to make available to all frontline healthcare workers online virtual training solutions that help them ramp up their capabilities to be able to address this pandemic. Specifically, we've created training solutions for respiratory specialists that can learn how to um, operate a ventilator. Um, I'm sure that you've heard that there's a major shortage of nurses and respiratory specialists. And with the setup of some of these um, um, ancillary hospitals and extra beds, um, we've had to bring in some healthcare professionals that didn't have all of the certifications and skills. So we've created new curriculum and new solutions that enable training to be done remotely, as well as be performed in much smaller groups. Um, we've ramped up our manufacturing capacity to be able to meet the demands of the marketplace, um, not only here in in the US, um, but around the globe. Um, and me living right here, kind of in the epicenter of the crisis right outside of Manhattan, I'm a little more affected because I know that communities of color and those communities of the less fortunate have been impacted even a little bit more, um, whether it be because of um, poor health care um, or even if it's just the fact that they tend to be in jobs um, where they are the nurses. They are the bus drivers. Um, they are the first responders, whether they're police officers or firefighters. So as an organization, we've tried to provide extra support to those local entities in the New York, Connecticut, and New Jersey area to ensure that all healthcare professionals um, be ready. I think that's, I mean, a great point. It's just, uh, I think one of the things that's not discussed a lot right now is just how COVID has, you know, hit and impacted underrepresented communities and communities that just don't have access to the same safety nets and resources that, you know, people with privilege do. And uh, particularly um, the Black, Latinx, and indig Indigenous communities in our country. And so I think it's really important to bring awareness around that and figure out solutions on how can we address that um, inequity, that inequality that we're seeing. Well, and, and to that point, Nina, too, yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, this we is, talk, oh no, oh, sorry about that. The, uh, 
uh, to Nina's point, I, we, we, we talked about this on an earlier episode where, you know, this, um, you know, this pandemic, you know, we, uh, my family, uh, very middle-class <laughs> family, not, not, not very fortunate at all, but, uh, worked hard to get to where I'm at, but we, uh, we live in a school district that made, created a policy that had one device per child. And so when distance learning was, invoked we our school district was actually just you know happened to be ready for that but other socioeconomic um status school districts that are not as fortunate let's say as that school district as our school district i mean again it goes back to again of color and and uh zip code matters in our in our in our united states uh from a from a funding perspective and all that kind of stuff so i love the fact that you're addressing it from a workforce development with remote training and all that kind of stuff um do uh do the students i i i'm still hooked on your your development program for recruiting uh creating that pipeline um but do you 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 made a comment very specifically that you have uh for a lack of a better word kind of quotas you have you have goals around this kind of recruiting yeah i'd love to know some of the techniques that you use so I, I, I see it with your pipeline, you know, working with the youth, right? Yes, but how yes. do you do that for uh, for adult workers? I'd love to know some of your recruiting techniques for uh, for some of these marginalized, underrepresented communities. Yeah, well, definitely. My HR leader is outstanding, and, and um, she's done a great job of um, doing um, job fairs and doing recruiting on predominantly African-American um, um, schools and campuses. So we've done aggressive um, re recruiting in that fashion. As well, we've set up standards that every um, every j job opening that we have has to have a, di a diverse um, pool of talent that ultimately gets interviewed, as well as the interviewing team needs to also be a diverse group um, represented of males, females, um, as well as different ethnicities and backgrounds. Um, I, I, I think that it's a work in pro a progress, Mike. Um, where our office is, is in a very um, um, rural area of the Catskills of New York, and I have another office in Fort Atkinson. Um, so there's still a lot of work that needs to be done um, to ensure that we ultimately become what we envision being an, a, a truly diverse and inclusive work environment. But, uh, but I believe by taking these very intentional steps, um, we are on the right path. Well, and, and please know, Ken, like we're, we, we, every guest we talk about, it's like, like it's not, this isn't one of those destination kind of plays. I mean, diversity and inclusion is one of those uh, journeys. And so we love the fact that you're sharing, these are practical, tangible things that our listeners can, can use, right? So uh, the fact that you are saying, yeah, we're, go we're all we're doing is picking, like our recruiting strategy is as simple as we pick campuses from X demographic, like we're not talking, you know, you don't need a PhD in diversity and inclusion. You just need to be intentional. So thank you for sharing your techniques. Yeah, I completely agree, Mike. Yeah, Ken, I mean, it's, it's an intentionality that has to exist. Um, and it's, it's okay to break away from the ritual that 
you know, the organization has had in place for X number of years, right? Like that, that's the only way we're going to start to develop a more diverse workplace is by intentionally choosing to, to go out and seek different than what we've known before. And, and that takes a little bit of a mindset shift as well. So yeah, it, it's great to, to see the intentionality behind that. I think that's the biggest message I get from this is yeah. you're intentionally going out to make that change. So yeah, thank you for that. I, I think our listeners will absolutely appreciate that. Um, you know, what, what's you, also- in, be, If I could add yeah, just please. one, thing, one, one please. thing to that is I think that it, leaders like ourselves, I think that we've got to create the environment for the conversation, right? So I think at my leadership team, to have an open and honest dialogue around um, w- what is the complexion of our organization today and what are the benefits of us creating a more diverse workforce and where are we missing the mark, right? Where are we missing opportunities because of the fact that we aren't as diverse as we desire to be? So I think as leaders, if we can create an environment where folks are open and willing to have that dialogue, I think that that will accelerate um, us on this journey to creating what we envision. That makes perfect sense. And I think it's, it's even more important that our healthcare industry like is on top of that. So thank you for, for leading the way on that, because I think the steps you're taking is is what will lead to kind of better products and solutions, because you're going to have a team of people who have cultural competency in all types of ways that'll, you know, translate into being able to provide more like a kind of more qualified and, um, highly um, specific types of education. Um, so that's awesome. Love that you're doing that. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's really cool. And, and yeah, I'm glad we we got to talk to you about this because you are, it's, it's a great example. And that's what we're trying to bring, you know, to the audience is, is just great examples and, and to show them, you know, that there is a way you, you can do this. You, you can make it happen within your organization. I and think it's to, good for you. I think that- the Well, yeah, right. Nina, <laughs> it's the right thing. The point that it, what Nina is, is, is hitting on is the fact that business will grow. You will have a much bigger impact in the marketplace if you truly develop solutions that meets the needs of the marketplace, right? And and, and that is, don't get me wrong, I'm still in business, right? And I'm still here to try to drive growth and accelerate profitability. But I think that we are more likely to be successful by having a diverse group than not. And that's and so they've there's there are multiple studies that have been done, Ken, that actually show that for-profit companies that are very intentional about and they've they've done it just based on call it gender. And so uh, organizations that have equal parts uh, gender equity within their leadership ranks outperform their peers by double-digit percentages. So it's exactly. so you know uh, diversity and inclusion isn't just one of those feel-good stories. It actually pays off. Exactly, Mike. Exactly. Yeah. That's wonderful. I, yeah. I, again, um, I keep singing your praises, Ken, but it, it's been really nice talking to you about this. I think one one thing maybe that we'll, we'll end on is you know with COVID nineteen and you know the, the work that you all are doing to 
to even sort of reskill these frontline workers, healthcare workers to help. Do, what do you see coming out of COVID-19? And granted, that could be two months from now, that could be 18 months from now. We don't know exactly. But do, I mean, for example, do you see, uh, do you see a, an increased interest in these types of healthcare roles? No, absolutely. I, th I, I think one that we realize that if a crisis like this were to ever hit us again, we are woefully understaffed and resourced at all levels of the healthcare system. So one is that we've got to um, encourage and ultimately train far more frontline healthcare workers, whether that be nurses, doctors, EMTs, firefighters. Um, we need to better, we need to encourage and then ultimately train a much larger cohort of, 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 of that staff. Secondly, we need to have more solutions that help to train um, and ensure that frontline healthcare workers are better prepared in the face of a crisis. Um, how you deal with um, patients on a day-to-day -day normal basis, let's say six months ago, versus how we're dealing with patients in the hospitals today is very, very different. And so therefore, our healthcare professionals were not very well trained or prepared to deal with such a crisis um, all at once. And so I think one, we need to recruit and hire more, more frontline healthcare workers, but two, we need to create solutions and training scenarios that prepare them for this type of crisis in the future. I think, I think, I, I think if there's one thing we can be certain of, that this will not be the last time we are ever faced with some type of crisis or pandemic. Hopefully, we're able to keep it under much better control because we are far more ready, um, but nonetheless, I'm confident that some type of crisis like this will impact the world again in the future so let's get ready exactly totally agree well ken it's been uh, a real pleasure uh thank you so very very much thank you so much you yeah. thank you nina thank you mike i wish you guys well and please stay safe and healthy during this crisis you thanks thanks for your time thanks okay. for your time ken okay bye-bye right. now Take bye care. thanks everybody talk to you soon Thanks for listening to the Choose Inclusion podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can see closed captioning for this podcast on our YouTube channel. You can find us online on our website, chooseinclusion.com, and contact us on Twitter at chooseinclusion.